There are a couple of things I wanted to mention this morning. More than a couple, really. One is that uh, some of you have been around long enough to know Jim Struthers, who was here uh, back in the early 70s, perhaps, and served as an elder here. It, it was very interesting because when Robin and I were in Texas, I was sitting at a baseball game that my son was playing, and I, start, <coughs> excuse me, I started talking to the lady next to me, and she said, well, my, my husband grew up in Calgary. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And, uh, and she knew that I was a preacher uh, in the Churches of Christ, and she went to a different Church of Christ. And she said, yeah, he, you know, he went to the Calgary Church of Christ. I said, really? His name was Steve Struthers. And Steve's son, Brandon, was playing with my son, Ryan, on the same baseball team. And Steve grew up at this church when he was a little boy, and his dad, Jim, was an elder here. And so it was interesting that here we are in Dallas, Texas, sitting in a baseball game, and all of a sudden I start talking to someone who, uh, is, who, whose husband grew up at the church that I'm about ready to go serve. That was fascinating. Anyway, Jim Struthers passed away uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, I don't know exactly the nature of the illness and all the things that went on in Jim's life, but I know that he was dearly loved here, and we need to continue to pray for the Struthers family, and there's even been some connection between Brandon and, and uh, our family because of all of that, so please uh, be thinking about the Struthers family if you happen to know them uh, for sure. And then also Charles Otome Ankara uh, lost a brother in Ghana in the last week, and so we want to be praying for Charles as well. Uh, and his family. I don't know if, uh, if Charles is here this morning. Charles, you are here. Brother, we are uh, sad for you. We grieve for your loss. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be going to Ghana for a funeral or anything like that, but uh, at any rate, we are thinking of you this morning. In fact, why don't we stop right now and just pray for his family and for the Struthers for that matter. Lord, we do pray for the Struthers. Uh, I think of Steve and his family and Brandon and Father, we think of Jim and his uh, family. We just ask, God, that you would bless all of them with your peace and comfort at this time. And then, Father, our brother Charles has lost a brother, and that hurts us. We grieve with him. We ask your blessings of peace and comfort on his family this morning. And we pray these things through Jesus. Amen. I also wanted to mention again that just the fact that the Muirheads are... Uh, have now left. There are a number of us who helped them move uh, yesterday morning. We're going to miss Mike and Michelle for sure. They are going to leave a hole. I'm sure there are others that will step in and fill uh, that hole in terms of the work, but they won't be able to fill the hole in one sense uh, in our, our hearts with missing Mike and Michelle. So please be praying for them as they start their new life together in Red Deer. And then I wanted to mention that we are going to, as many of you have heard already, going to fast Next Sunday morning, beginning after breakfast, or sorry, next Saturday morning after breakfast. I gotta make sure we get this straight. Okay? Make sure you start fasting on Saturday morning after breakfast. Fast through the day, through the night, and every time you feel those hunger pains, pray about our church family. And then on Sunday morning, we're gonna come together and break our fast together with a brunch in between our two services. So start fasting Saturday morning next week after breakfast, and then we'll break our fast together with a brunch on Sunday morning. And I, I, that gives me a perfect opportunity to mention the fact that we're going back to two services. So our first service will begin at 8.50, that's 8.50 a.m. in the morning. 8.50 next week we will have our first service. We will have Bible class, that Bible class time normally is going to be at 10.10. Next Sunday we're going to have a brunch in its place that will start at 10 o'clock. And then our second service will start at 11.10.
So 850 and 1110, just like we were in the spring and like we've been uh, in last fall and for quite some time. So just be aware of all that and be prepared to break your fast at 10 o'clock with a brunch together. Okay? If you have any questions about all that, go talk to Hope. She would organize it, not me. Okay? Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 18 this morning. You will find some Bibles, I think, under the pews. <laughs> under the pews. Under the chairs. I hope you're going to find some, some Bibles. If not, turn to Luke 18. One of the things that we've tried to do this summer as we've talked from the parables is to try and set the context for each one of those parables. And today we're going to look at the story, really, of the Pharisee and the tax collector from Luke 18. But I'm also going to read the parable immediately after that. Or it's not really a parable, it's just some words from Jesus. Because I think it kind of completes the story. And in fact, I think Luke puts these incidents together, the telling of the parable and then the words of Jesus about children, because these two incidents kind of help each other out. There's a bit of a a collaboration here. One lends something to the other in terms of perspective. So first, I want to read in Luke chapter 18, verse 15 and following, some comments Jesus makes about little children, and then I'm going to go back in a bit here and read the parable. So, little children, people were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Now, that's that's interesting. People are bringing babies to Jesus, and those crass disciples are telling him to get away. Don't bother the the master. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now the fact is, is that little children have a certain kind of attitude about things. And specifically, little children have an attitude about God. And here's, I think, the point for the morning, or at least one of them. And that is that children know that they didn't do anything to earn the status, the place that they have with their parents. And let me, let me give you an example. I can, I can walk back here to the, the back of these rows and I can find in the back row here a little girl named Nora who's trying to get away from me. Hi, Nora. How are you? This is Nora. Isn't she cute? You're such a cutie. And I know about Nora's because I have a little Nora in Texas who's just about the same age. And when Robin and I Skype with Nora, we Skype with our Nora, it's amazing how Nora just beams. She just smiles. And she'll say, Pappas, Pappas, when she gets on uh, on the Skype. I want to see on television. Okay? And my guess is that if mommy's been away for a while, if Emma's been even probably just at the grocery store, and she's got to be with her dad for just a little while, whom I know she loves. If Emma comes home, I'll bet Nora is so thrilled when her mommy walks in the room. And why is that? Is Nora really thrilled to be Emma's daughter and Trevor's daughter because she knows that she's such a good little girl and that's why they love her? Is that the case? Like, does, does that, does uh, Nora think to herself, 
man, I'm such a great kid. I always do exactly what my parents want me to do. And because I always do what my parents want me to do, that's why they love me. Do you think she goes through that kind of process in her mind? I think not. I think Nora just receives. I think Nora just accepts. I think that Trevor and Emma just love Nora and they bring that out in her, that she just loves them right back because of the love that they have for her. There's no process there where she thinks she's somehow worthy of their love. Well, I think that that point's a bit telling when it comes to the parable that we're about to read. And I think these two stories go together for that reason. Look at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. This is interesting. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And you can imagine him maybe waving his hand, sneering a bit at the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Which really means that he meets the minimum requirements. And then in verse 13 it says, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, I think in anguish, and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, it's, of course, really important that you understand who these people are. The Pharisee, in the eyes of the whole community of Jewish people, is one who is is the epitome of what they all should be. The Pharisee thinks of himself, and they think of him as being a religious giant. This is a guy who does the right thing. The tax collector, on the other hand, is someone who is absolutely despised. Still Jewish... He collaborates with the Romans. He takes unfair taxes from the people. And he ends up, just like Zacchaeus, ends up rich. And he's ripped the people off over and over and over again. And so nobody appreciates the tax collector. Everybody hates him. Everybody loves the Pharisee. And Jesus turns all of that around. So... Let me ask you, what is supposed to be the attitude of those who stand in Christ? Those who've come to Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our relationship with Him. All of us would have to say that the attitude of the tax collector is what God would want us to have. I don't think there's anybody here who thinks, well, it's the Pharisee who's in the right place. Jesus certainly doesn't say that. It's the tax collector who is actually in the good place. And that's because God wants him and he wants us to humbly recognize that without him, we are merely sinners. And so that's the attitude. The attitude of the tax collector with which we're supposed to come to Christ is one of humility. We're supposed to have that. And in this story, it is in specific contrast to that arrogant Pharisee. Now, the fact is, that's pretty easy for all of us to get. 
I think you get that. The first moment that I read this, or if you've read this before, you understood the the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You understood that it was the Pharisee in his arrogant self-righteousness who is not declared righteous. And you understand that it is the tax collector who is actually quite a sinner who is in fact accepted by God. And in getting that, we need every one of us to appropriate into our lives, to bring into our lives the full understanding of exactly what it is that God has done. The fact is, is that among us, there are many of us who have been Christians for a long, long time. Jim, how long have you been a Christian? Since 1955. 1955. I'm trying to do the math here. It's, what, 60 years plus? 62? I've been a Christian for 44 years. And whether it's 55 or it's 44 or it's 15, the fact is it's pretty easy for us to start to take for granted that which God has done for us. And the grace that has been dispensed for the Christians, it's easy for us to say after a while... That although I love God, I appreciate Jesus, I worship Him with all of my heart, it still doesn't quite impact me the way that it once did. And the attitude of thinking of ourselves as sinners needs to be there. The acceptance of His grace needs to be there. I was thinking, Jonathan, when you're wherever you are now, Jonathan, when you were singing that song. If grace were an ocean, what is the next line in the song? We're all drowning. If grace is an ocean, we're all drowning. Drowning in the grace of God because it is so immense. It is so awesome. It is so eternal. It's so everlasting. It's so deep. It's beyond what we can even imagine is the grace of God. And if there's anyone here this morning who isn't somehow thinking of him or herself as a sinner who absolutely is dependent upon the grace of God and that only for our life together in the Lord, then we may be taking for granted something which is so awesome and so wonderful that we should not for a moment again take for granted what it is that Jesus has done for us. In fact, by the way, I think there are even times when we do a little bit of a reverse kind of prejudice here. It is not difficult for us to have in our minds the idea that we are in fact the saved ones. That God has done something for me. He's done something for us. And I, because I'm so wise, accepted it. And I put myself in a position where I'm now one of his children. And there are those people out there who are not. And it sometimes it's possible for us to say to those who are not his children that they're not quite what we are. And we end up thinking of ourselves in a way that is maybe a little bit too much Pharisee-like. 
as we recognize that God in his grace has done something wonderful, but then I appropriated that grace. I accepted that grace. There are others who haven't accepted that grace. Doesn't that somehow put me in a better place than them? Instead of me continually to think of myself as this humble servant of God that I should be. Now, all of that said, let me make at least one other point. Is the attitude of the tax collector, the attitude about ourselves that we are to have as children of God? Is the attitude of the tax collector, the attitude about ourselves that we are to have as children of God? Now think about this. What is the attitude of the tax collector? I'm a horrible sinner. He beats his breast, grieving because of the sin that is in his life. And I wanted to ask before we left today, is that your perspective about who you are right now in Jesus? Like, would I expect most of you to come here on Sunday morning ready to wail? Ready to grieve? Ready to beat your breasts because of the sin that is in your lives? And I'm not sure that that's necessarily either the right attitude that we're supposed to have now that we stand in Jesus. Because I always recognize that I'm a sinner. There's no doubt about that. God wants me to keep thinking of myself as this one who is not righteous. That's for sure. But what does the second story about the children have to say about the attitude that we now have as children standing before him? And that is a different kind of attitude than the one who just stands and wails and grieves and beats his breast at his sin. Because what we now have in Jesus because of the grace that I talked about a moment ago is an incredible relationship. It might be that Nora doesn't understand anything about why she loves Trevor and Emma. She just loves them. She just responds to them. They love her. She comes back and loves them. She's not thinking that through. It's just something that comes out of her. She's loved and she knows it and she responds. But what about somebody else in the room who's actually a child of a parent and that child has grown older and recognizes something about their parent and that is that the parent loves them. And so again, I could point to Michael Coughlin and I could say, what does Michael think of his parents? Does Michael look at his parents and respond to them by saying, my mom and dad love me because I'm just a good kid. Because I've, I've always done everything they've ever wanted me to do. Is that the case? You've always done everything. Of course not. Instead, something else has gone on. There is now an incredible relationship that's developed between Michael and his parents because... Because he knows and understands that they love him. Nora may not know it in the sense of rationalizing this understanding of love, but Michael has. And it changes everything about the relationship that he has with his parents. And when he was a kid, he was like Nora. And when he was a teenager, it may have been much worse and much different. I don't know. But as an adult... He comes to recognize the relationship that he has with God. And that becomes this childlike humility and loving relationship with them that I think is to typify the relationship that we have with God today. Do I recognize that I'm a sinner before the Lord? Absolutely. 
But do I constantly grieve and wail and wallow in my sin because of the relationship that I have with God where He judges me? No. Instead, I love Him and I respond to Him and I come to Him not just as the unreflective child, but as the reflective one who recognizes what it is that I have in Jesus and who then loves my heavenly Father in response to the graciousness that He has showered down upon me in Jesus. And I think that's the healthy place to be. And I think that's what God wants for us, what Jesus teaches us perhaps in many of His parables. That this loving relationship with Him, we as His child, humbly accepting His grace, being in love with Him, is what God desires for all humankind. And we get to share in that because of what Jesus has done. So I hope that you're not one of those who constantly grieves because of your sin. I do want you sad about it. Certainly at the moment you need to feel some guilt. But with time, maybe very little time in reflection, the mountains of grace that have been poured down upon you through Jesus, that needs to dominate your time of reflection when you think of who you are before God. And it needs to create this wonderful relationship where you love God and He loves you. One of the neatest things about being a grandparent of a toddler is the innocent joy that is in her as she accepts our love. Now, our joy may not be so innocent. But he wants us to have that joy of being in relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord, you have created beautiful relationship between yourself and us. And we need that. God, we've looked at the parables and they talk uh, so much about what it means to live out our lives before you. And God, I'm, I'm hoping that there are some people here who do recognize just how sinful they are because they need to see that. I, I need to see that about myself. But when we come to that recognition and we have received your grace... We pray then, God, that there would just be this wonderful coming together with you where we as your children honor you and love you and are in relationship with you and understand what it is that Jesus has done. Help us to live there, to bask in that relationship always. We pray through Jesus. Amen.